This is the one with perpetual stowaways. Paranoid champs in bald caps. The world's tiniest zoo. And Niente Dinari here, you jealous. It's called <laughs> Carnival of Monsters. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Talent, Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode. So we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than back Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode C066 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docfast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I am Ponkin, and with me in the Who Back When studio today is Nick. Hello, Nick. Hey, Podcast Land. How are you doing? Today we are talking about Carnival of Monsters. The first uh, piloting of the TARDIS by, by the Third Doctor. Exactly. The first sort of, I was about to say autonomous journey, but yeah, yeah, yeah sort of. I mean, on his part. Oh, fuck it, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the second episode of this season. Cause three I believe Do- so. Three Doctors is the first episode. Yes. We might actually more charitably call this the actual launch of the season, you know, the the season in earnest, whereas last week was more the anniversary special. I, I think that's fair to say. Grand. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> in, what, in, initial thoughts, feelings, or do you want to jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Great and tingling. <laughs> Great and tingling. Yeah, yeah, well, you mean you asked for a feeling. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. Right. Yeah. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Doc Hammer and Joe take the TARDIS out for the first spin in a long time without Time Lord control, and forgetting how the blasted thing works, the Doctor materializes them aboard the SS Bernice, which famously disappeared in 1926. And when a plesiosaurus makes a sudden appearance, it becomes clear to them that not all is as it seems. Meanwhile, two interstellar carnies have just arrived on the planet Interminer with their so-called miniscope, containing a myriad of abducted beings miniaturized and living out an eternity in time loops within. Are the two stories connected? Watch and or listen to find out. Beast cow over. You are welcome. Aren't you just... Right. Where would you like to start Ponkin? I do have a question. Do you? I mean if you're just if you're interested. <laughs> Why not? Well let's let's just talk a little bit. So I listened okay, to this fine. last week. <laughs> yeah. Um so I'm a little bit hazier, whereas you're very fresh. You've just, just I finished. yeah, I watched half of it yesterday and half of it just moments before you arrived. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna rely heavily on you oh, and sweet. our listeners because no I'm pretty hung over <laughs> and I've kind of forgotten some things. But I definitely feel good. I feel good. Cool. Not not just now, but about this whole endeavour. Okay. So hit me with this question. All right. So how would the Illustrated London News be delivered to a ship about to arrive in Bombay in 1926? <laughs> <laughs> By a much smaller ship. It's like a paperboy, like on his, on, on like a bicycle, on a pedalo, just doing laps of the Indian Ocean. He only gets pay, a paid like 50p a for per paper round. <laughs> Jimmy! <laughs> There's always Jimmy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's a possibility of... What's his face? The captain? Is, that, is, is he referred to as the captain? No. He's lieutenant or something. As in the guy that actually... The old chap. Not, oh, yeah. Because it's his... Uh, major. Cha- major. The major, yeah. He's not, it's he's, possible that the major has just left a four-week-old newspaper lying around, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would do that. 
Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. I guess, but yeah, was it? No, is it recent? I don't know. The the the, the copy that they that they received. I mean, it's, th- wait, what? I mean, he's a jackass, so maybe he does leave, for, leave. Like, there's a there's a Sudoku. He really wants to finish it. <laughs> no, he really want, He's making a scrapbook, and uh, in there there were some really juicy racist stories. Oh. So, like, <laughs> that does fit in quite well with this episode or the serial. Yeah. Okay. Let's get this. Shall off. we jump into this? Yeah. Let's jump into the racism. The racism right away. Right away. Okay. Let's do that. So what did we have? We had uh, Johnny Chinaman. Yep. Uh, we have those grey-faced idiots. Yep. And- Which and but the one that really got to me as an Indian man is <laughs> is uh, the madrasis and yeah, the, lazy and no yeah, work the, ethic the lazy oh but they cook a good curry and stuff it's like oh and I get it because <laughs> man was you know he's sort of this colonial dickhead yeah. and they're going to India and and etc so it it's very consistent yeah but sure it was definitely cringy as fuck oh um, yeah. And not that that so in in Nua Who when there's the historical anachronism of of um of values where there's yeah there might be someone racist like in Family of Blood where yeah people yeah are exactly. racist to Martha, Martha it's done as a oh, look how awful people used to be Was at the with, time yes in this case it's just like yeah <laughs> I mean we don't really have a big India viewership so fuck them <laughs> like, well, well, I mean even if that's what they were trying to do you know just highlights the inequalities of the day or of, of of 1926 then they're not doing a very good job of showing off the equality of what is it something minor inter minor mm. which you could argue is sort of representative of the present right i mean yeah. it's gray-faced idiots <laughs> God. Jesus. <laughs> okay, I think that's the racism covered, but if you'd if anyone would like to cover it more, feel free to do that in your Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totes. <laughs> so, do we, I want to talk a little bit about the, about the, what are they called? What's their names? The, um, the, 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 the actual individuals. No, not necessarily the individuals, the... The aliens. The, yeah. The, the grey ones. The grey ones. They are interminorians, and there are two different kinds of interminorians. Yes, so there are functionals... Yeah, and officials. No, functionaries. Functionaries and officials. And the the functionaries, are they like... Because, again, I projected a lot into this that I don't think we get to know. But the functionaries seem to me like like they were almost like some sort of genetically modified, made slave. It's never explained in the serial, but uh, according to Todd's Wikia, it is then elaborated upon in prose form. So mm. so apparently there's a novel, I can't remember, I didn't write down the title, but there's a novel that returns to Interminer and the idea was that uh, one, like the ruling class, the upper class, I mm. think they actually, they're referred to as, the, the separation between upper class and working class was so incredibly tangible mm. that over time they developed different physiognomies. Jesus. And the functionaries are the working class. And in this one, the only thing that they say that they sort of allude to is that maybe there's a possibility of a revolution. Like, oh, well, they, they murder ki- one, they kill they? one of yeah. them in the beginning. And you, uh, that, I completely fucking forgot because they don't come back to that no. motif at all. Wait, why would they? Is, is that is that a huge item? I mean, does that seem <laughs> decisive in any way in the description was, of, of this civilization? When when we started, brackets, yes. When started listening, uh, watching this serial, you know, that, I yeah. thought that would be the premise. Yeah. That essentially, at some point, there's going to be some description of revolution, or the doctor's going to affect some revolution, or yeah. there'll be some sort of liberation. A hundred percent. And is no, just murdered that one dude, and then we basically don't see them again. <laughs> they do show up. They occasionally like man a gun. They man a gun until they just disappear because they've been ordered to no longer man this gun. What an incredibly interesting fucking uh, 
plot that just wasn't at all touched. I feel like we've had something like that on Classic Who before, haven't we? Well, we're like As a in, misdirect. No, no. I mean, where we've had two civilizations. One is a working class. The other one is is uh, a ruling class. Have we not had that? I mean, to be honest, it's, it's all over. It's super you know, familiar. It's all over. And, and I mean... Maybe a new Who. Definitely a new Who, the Ood. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's lots of class and equity and, and all those. It's all over. And it's a, it's a really rich fucking place to... to Stories, just a yeah, mine for narratives. But nope. What? <laughs> nope. Just nope. Murder this one dude, and then <laughs> moving on. Nope. Nope. Is it in any way? Maybe I missed this, but do you think it's in any way alluded to that because there's going to be a shift in government mm. that maybe the uh, what would they call again? The functionaries are going mm. to be liberated to some degree. Well, these lot have um, the interminorians or the, yeah. the the executive class of interminorians. Yeah, are incredibly paranoid. Incredibly paranoid because they think. So here is the the, the sort of the the mechanisms that I seen that I picked out, or that that func- you know, they sort of drive their paranoia. Yeah. One being that they seem to think that there's some someone out there that is smarter than them or more advanced than them. It, some yeah, who's constantly looking for an opportunity to invade yeah. and enslave them, and therefore everyone could be a spy, including the two carnies. Mm. And then the second one is is that they've lived in a sort of um, almost like feudal Japan where they, you know, lock down all borders for like a fucking hundred years. Um, they've lived in that state, a closed off state yeah, for ages, uh, not interacting with any other species. Uh, and the, the current president is trying to change that. Yes, exactly. He's and, bring and in so, more influence. Yeah, and one of yeah, exactly. He's he's trying to open the borders a little bit, and therefore there's paranoia among the other officials. That wait, hang on, is that going to jeopardize our authority? I guess hmm. uh, there's another level of of paranoia. Germs. They're germs. afraid that um, everything might in some way carry germs that will infect and kill everyone, which is why they want to incinerate stuff and and you know throw people off worlds. Hmm. Yeah. No, they're so, super duper paranoid. And as a as just sort of like a monster of the week, you yeah. know, or else they were fucking wicked, right? Oh. They were brilliant. And they were yeah. very full as a, and there was a mythos there that was hinted at, you know, in, in the the differences between them and their functionaries, there or whatever we call them. That was awesome. I really wish, I really hope they return. Well, they only return in prose form. <sighs> Um, well, hitherto, I don't know. Hitherto. I mean, there are plenty of bald caps somewhere in a storage room at the BBC. I'm sure we could okay. <laughs> cobble together another episode. Uh, my first note is love the bald, sarcastic aliens. Yeah. Love them. Love them. And wouldn't they? I mean, they'd be great as a new who, as a yeah. as another, like... I mean, you know, you, you spice up the, the their appearance a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's talk about the experience <laughs> a little bit. Everyone has a bald cap. Everyone has a bald cap. Fine. Yep. I guess. Uh, yep. Everyone looks like Millhouse's dad. Yep. Uh, which, again, is perfectly fine. Not a problem. Why didn't, like, between takes or between, like, episodes, yeah. they just do a little bit of retouching? Like, Oh, <laughs> like, because of, two of them, are, well, actually, one of them in particular, around the eyes, he's got, like, a Donald Trump thing going on, where it's, like, just pinkish mouth, around the eyes. And, and mouth, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> he like, clearly had a sandwich between takes. Yeah. <laughs> and a little cry. <laughs> like, <laughs> crying into his cheese and onion sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be Zorg. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, why didn't they just retouch them? Yeah, no, brilliant question. Uh, answer? Don't know. <laughs> no reason. Oh, we ran out of the grey powder paint. The, the, uh, dude, in 1972 to 1974, there was a grey powder paint shortage. <laughs> the legendary grey powder, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, so that was bothersome. Yeah. How did you feel about the um, functionary's appearance? 
Okay, so now with the retrospective... So same species, different yeah, branches. That is super interesting. It is super interesting, and I swear to God we've encountered this on Doctor Who before. As what, in, on what, who back when before. I no, cannot no, but like, think of it. The, the idea that, that like a difference in class would eventually change in some sort of evolutionary yeah. biology way. We've encountered that. Or yeah. we've just encountered no, two people. I, mean, I think we've encountered that. What, uh, I want, maybe I'll future punk this if I can think of it. I mean, there was the evolutionary thing in... Oh, what's that fucking... You know the one where the Gregor Samsers? No, That's different. That? The, the one where everyone turned... Oh, into, yeah, like, yeah. The, uh, the, 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 oh, it was so recent. The mutants. The mutants. Yeah. So that was an evolutionary thing, and there was a bit of a class thing in there. Yeah, not what I'm thinking of. I can't... Hang on, I'm just scrubbing through our classic reviews on whobackwhen.com, just in case I can see it. Was there something in Colony and Space, maybe? Mm. Um, no. Not on, the, not on, like, a change of physiology. No, you're right, you're right. As oh, no, also, I, there was a different one with the, the weird little dude... What the fuck was he from? A weird little dude. There was a weird little dude, oh. and there were different types of that weird little dude, and we're like, why is this one? Yes, little? that's the one. What that is, is the one. Is yes, it? they are the guardians or something. Yeah. Holy smoke, Arun is the guy who comes out of a little like shelf in the yeah. wall. Yes. Oh my god. For the past half hour, podcast <laughs> has been screaming at us. Hang on, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. What is it though? Oh, what is it? He's what is like, it? And we, we just couldn't work out why he was different to the other fucking <laughs> dudes, um, or whether there uh, was like. A- I'm finding it. I'm finding it. Hang on. That is exactly the one. There are three three kinds of them. Like there's a worker. What's a, the, the name? I know. I'm, I'm looking for them. There's a worker, a cleric, and something else. A war, a soldier, maybe. The, the Boom! Found them. There's the only type of people you need: soldiers, clerics, and <laughs> normos. What is it? It it is calling in space. Oh right. Okay. Fair right. Enough. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you, <laughs> Vindex of who back when. <laughs> You've saved the day yet again. <laughs> it was Colony in Space where we encountered the Uxarians. Uxarians. Yeah, and there was the Uxarian Guardians, the Uxarian Priests, and the Uxarian Primitives. Mm. Bingo, bongo. I'm doing the victory dance. It's glorious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that would have been really interesting to have gone more into that. Yeah. Um, the inter- Remind me, did we get into that in this one? No. Oh, okay, cool. Carry um, on. <laughs> and the the Luma, what are they called? Lunars, Lumars, Lumi, Lumi. Uh, the Carnies. The Carnies, but they're yeah. called, like, their they're yeah, race. Yeah, I can't whatever. remember. Lemurs? L- Lumis, Lemurs. Lemurs. The Luminary Lemurs. Yeah, I mean, we don't um, we don't get to know anything about them either. No. So they look exactly like humans. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do they turn up? Like, Wait, through a garbage chute or something? Yeah, or I mean, like, they're basic. They were all aboard. Space trash. No, they're, they're like... They're not stowaways. They're just passengers aboard these ships. No, this is another thing that we they, don't. How they get to the ship? Or yeah, whatever. they they fall out the into the, like the trash compactor where there's like Santa's factory, except mm. where elves putting boxes onto a conveyor belt. Yeah, every box looks the same, by the way. It's all just full of Nutella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they just hitched a ride. This is another thing that we don't find out about because it's part of the universe as such, or the galaxy anyway, that, that this takes place in. Well, what really bothered me about that is clearly travel between planets. Well, yeah, and, and that's perfectly fine. But what bothered me is that, so for a hyper-bureaucratic, hyper-paranoid yeah. set of ex- executives, yeah. that there wasn't some sort of, like, boarding and or quarantine procedure where they could have, rather than, who are those fucking dudes? What is that? Like, why is everyone chatting around, standing around looking at each other when there should be yeah. processes in place? Yeah, they do seem to have expected their arrival, right? It's like, oh yeah, so there are the aliens from that planet. There are the lemurs. Well, no, yes and no, because then they then they have to go through the rigmarole of like, who are you? What do you do? Um, 
And they do some research, and they go, oh, "Well, we've we found out that you perform some ritual and on every world that you uh, that you travel to." Yeah, I don't. Really what know. is this ritual? It's entertainment. Oh no, illegal! There is some preparation. There's also another thing which <laughs> I think is just a testament to budget constraints. I mean, everything does take place in two rooms, <laughs> yeah. so you could argue. <laughs> I mean, how how long a time period does this cover? Let's say it covers a day. A day. Yeah. It doesn't cover more than that, surely. Mm. But there, there is no, like, bathroom break. There's nothing. You are stuck in this room. And at one point, we see room number two, through which, through a window, mm. they look at the lemurs and go, like, oh, there are the aliens. They're probably plotting against us, yada, yada. Mm. Maybe that is quarantine. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, dude, you just dropped into Santa's uh, toy factory. Now stand in this one room we have. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll bite. Yeah. That's fair. Plus, in that room, they have that weird um, heat gun, right? Yes. So it seems as though, I mean, you know, welcome, <laughs> gun. <laughs> welcome, gun. <laughs> All right. What did you think about those two? So Vorg and Shima? Shina. Shima. 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 I think Shima. Shima? Shima. I think Shima. <laughs> that one dude is having, his head is exploding. <laughs> Just right? you guys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Sherma. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I liked them. I, I liked him. Though, I mean, he uh, struck me very much like original, as in Star Trek, original series, uh, Mud. Yes. Fenton Mud. They're very similar characters. Like, they're bobbing around space. One's a pirate. The other's a carny. Like, there's, there's an element of we're going to trick people. We're going to fool people. In fact, it starts and ends with him fooling people. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. There's just lots of comedy and slapstick. Yeah. She is uh, like the embodiment of 70s BBC sexism. Yeah. Uh, walking around in a, a leotard with little like ping pong balls on it or whatever it is, uh, is constantly referred to as the beautiful assistant. Mm. And she's fun. I, I She's got some like chutzpah. I like it. Yeah, and she she's always the one pointing out, like, you know, something's wrong here, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is... she's the clever one. He yeah. is the fool in charge. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, no, no, I really, really like her. Her name's Cheryl Hall. Cheryl Hall. Cheryl Hall. I, I'm, I'm impressed that you've yet to remark on the her foxiness. She is a fox. She is a stone-cold fox. Stone-cold. And I looked her up. I looked up everyone on the cast, mm. uh, including Cheryl Hall, who played, I can confirm, Sherna. Sherna. <laughs> this is copy pasted from <laughs> Sherna. Uh, <laughs> she has previously appeared <clears throat> as Hot Dog Girl in Deep End. Wait for it. What? <laughs> Wait for it. Pregnant Girl Number One in Anyone for Sex. <laughs> as Daphne in No Sex Please, We're British. <laughs> Are these carry on films or something? Uh, they- the No Sex Please, We're British is definitely a carry on film. Yeah. And wait for it. As Maxine in. Rent a dick. <laughs> no. I really, really tried to find screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> so I found none. I found none. I, um, are we saying that she was an adult actress? I, I, I'm assuming that she was in... I've never seen a carry-on film. I've only heard of them. Oh, yeah. They're just bawdy. Yeah. So they're not... Then. They're, like, I'm assuming there are lots of topless women and incredibly vulgar jokes There's by the, uh, short, fat men. Asian or topless woman is mostly always Barbara Windsor. Okay. Uh, and it's, um, but not topless, topless, just like, you know. Oh. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. and just all the double entendres. Yeah, yeah, all exactly. All of them. 
So I, I'm assuming that this... I mean, I, I don't think that she was an adult actress, but there was certainly a theme to her career. Rented Dick isn't Rent a, a fucking dick. isn't a carry on film. I know. I assume that. Hence, I was scouring the interwebs for screenshots. I couldn't find find anything. It doesn't actually. It sounds like it might have been another carry on film. But rent a dick. Rent a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my new thing. Instead of sucking it, rent a dick. Rent man. a dick. <laughs> 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 rent a dick. Rent a dick. <laughs> All in one word. Rent a dick. It's rent like a dick. I mean, it's the name that you would find on the van when it pulls up outside your house. Like, mm, rent a dick. We're here. We had a two o'clock appointment. <laughs> anyway, so that was Cheryl Hall. <laughs> <laughs> that was way better. I thought you were just going to tell me just like some other bullshit. Yeah, she no. went hobby C. No. <laughs> rent a dick. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else have we got? So we have other people aboard the SS Bernice, mm. and there were. It, since we're talking about other films and whatever that they've been in, mm. um, I don't know if you would count this as trivia. We have encountered this kind of I would call a trivia before, and you have gone. That is not trivia. <laughs> Did you recognize Captain whatever his face is? Andrews is his name. Andrews, the guy who takes uh, the major. Yeah, the guy who takes Claire, the major's daughter, for a walk oh, around. Oh, he's a the lieutenant, ship. I think. Lieutenant, okay. Um, Ian something or other, as in that's the actor's name, isn't it? Ian Don Marta. Mm. He looked super duper familiar to me, and I just wrote down. I definitely have seen him in something else before. I don't know where from, but as in, I've seen him on Doctor Who before. He is a future companion. Ooh. Yeah, and not just that, he's been in other stuff as Which well. Doctor. So- Ooh. Fourth. I'm not sure. Hang on, we can look it up. Ian Don Marta, Marta, Marta played companion Harry Sullivan Harry in Sullivan. Doctor Doctor Who from Robot to Terror of the Zygons. Let's find out that when that is. Baker. Terror of the Zygons. You're right. Fourth Doctor. Well done. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Rent a dick. Rent a dick. <laughs> I cannot wait to say that to things to people. <laughs> He returns as Harry Sullivan in The Android Invasion. He also wrote several books for the Target novelizations, including two published posthumously. He also played the minor role of a lieutenant, John Andrews, in the Doctor Who story, Carnival of Monsters. Boom, shakalak. Future companion. Very good. I'd also say lieutenant, but fair enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Is lieutenant, is that American? American. Mm. Mm. I'm only doing it for our fans overseas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Cool. Uh, what else that we- is trivia. I'll give you that. That's trivia. Thank if you. you were like, yeah, he's got a cousin that once, <laughs> <laughs> that once walks past the Doctor Who set. <laughs> he owned a border collie. What was that border collie's name? <laughs> Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. What did you think of the rest of the SS Bernice chapter of this? Um, good and then annoying. Okay. That's how that's how I'm characterizing it. First fun. I was kind of we so weirdly we'd done this the wrong way around. In the previous classic who um we did the uh mo the, the groundhog day mo- motif. Which would be way more applicable. Yeah. Oh you're right. <laughs> so it right. made no fucking sense in that episode, but it makes literally <laughs> all the sense, sense yeah. in this episode. All of them, everyone. Rent a dick. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, by that point, I'd sort of, sort of blown my load with that particular device, okay. and I was bored. Really? Just, well, just the, the the redoing the thing over and over again. I was like, ah, shit! I've seen too many things recently using this. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if that's problematic with this serial or just my or 
my coincidence of having like the Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, we talked about that, that the other day, didn't we? The, and I was like, oh shit, I'm just going to go round and round this. You know what? I liked it because that was that was something that we introduced in our review. It wasn't something that we actually found inside the episode, right? Oh, no, which is great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so in this case, I loved it because we haven't encountered this in Doctor Who for, at least for a while. And I think it was done relatively well. They could have done so much more of it, though. Mm. I mean, they could have... We have the Doctor and Joe encountering, like, realizing, oh, they're on a loop. And we also have the hint of um, Claire? Claire. 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 <laughs> Claire. <laughs> we, have the, we have a hint that Claire realizes that something's going on. Sort of. But when Joe goes, like, don't you remember that you've been here? She just sort of... <laughs> suddenly you realize that it's fire behind those eyeballs. Just like, fuck, get me out of this hell. What I'm more... <laughs> I mean, and yes, I guess... And then actually, ultimately, that's what happens as yeah. well, right? But the, the thing that really bothered me is like, so Joe... You haven't learned to game this system. That's my point. That's what I was That's getting at. really annoying. Exactly. That, like, to a point where she, instead of saying, oh, well, actually, I know loads of stuff about you. How would I know this about you if I, we hadn't already yeah. been here or whatever? She was just Not like, just that. don't you remember? You like, know what? Not up. just that. You, uh, after a while, she would know exactly at what point exactly. they turn what corner, right? And uh, there's one scene where the doctor, the doctor's just as dumb as Joe in this case. Yeah. Because they hide behind the same, whatever it is, like, chest of drawers twice. There is a lot of crouching. There's oh, there's on so the, much. There's board hiding. I believe we refer to it <laughs> as on who back when. Thank you very much. Yeah. But like they they do it twice, and it, it, the second time around, it's not like oh wait, hang on. We know how this is going to pan out. Just don't or say something different. Mm. Like come up with a different alibi or whatever, like anything. But no, they just they they're both surprised to find that they're going to be arrested. And I'm like fucking idiots. Yeah. yeah. I, so that bit really did annoy me. Um, the plesiosaur bit was sort of weird. I guess. Yeah, so that's okay. Can we have um, a little bit more of that, please? Like, wait, we just had a fucking dinosaur show yeah. up. <laughs> okay, it's so in the same habitat as the SS Bernice, by the way. Let's, yeah, of course. Why not? Why? Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the circuits. Let's talk about the miniscope. Let's talk about okay. um, the zoo. Both as a narrative and both as like a thing. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Okay, I liked all of it. Uh, the let's see, what was the order in which you said this? So the circuits, like when they're running around, they're troning inside of this jukebox. Mm. Loved it. Mm-hmm. it. Before we press record, you mentioned Planet of the Giants or Land of the Giants. Land whatever. of the Giants. Land of the Giants. So we obviously we've had the serial Planet of Giants, where they clearly just reuse the same props or the same ideas, just repurposed for Doctor Who, and we have the characters interacting with huge items. Mm. Like in, in Planet of Giants, is uh, Ian's dangling his feet off a matchbox. And they, they see ants and whatever. And it's like, oh, awesome. Mm. Cool stuff. Again, they could have done a little bit more of that. They could have been, I mean, the doctor is inside a circuit board. You manipulate that circuit board, reprogram yeah. it or something. That could be pretty cool. You could use the Sonic to reprogram it, maybe. But overall, I like it. We haven't had it in color either. So, I mean, on a shallow, on a very superficial level, enjoyed it. I really liked it. I really liked the, the hints at the beginning with Ogrons, and they were like, oh, they're used by a thing called the Daleks. Uh, they, the Cybermen get a little shout, uh, yeah. all that. I really liked that, well, for loads of reasons. First, that the, they had the dual narrative, and they kept it dual for, for a very long time, yeah. up until the end of the second episode, uh, where yeah. he reaches in and gets the TARDIS. Before those yeah, two yeah, that's interact, episode two, isn't it? Which is fantastic. It is fantastic, but it does lead to some problems. It leads to problems, but, yeah. but I like as the cliffhanger. I said, "Oh, that is cool." Yeah, um, and it's now, beautiful. The the thing that sort of um, 
bothered me, I guess, about that. Well, no, no, actually, I really liked, or at least it hinted at, is for a small second, it's like, wow, are these people like way more powerful than the Daleks? And they've just got like, they just whack, like, you know, they, because that's something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but then it turns out not. But, you know, still, that was a nice hint. Um, I liked the, the, the miniscope and what I'd like to have seen is more circuits. Like, I'd like to have seen them skipping through various worlds. So they SS Bernice and then they'd have fucked off to this. You want sort of the Westworld element. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, now you're running through what a desert landscape. Now you're on the moon. Now you're on... Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Maybe that that's just... That would require a huge bo- budget. And yeah, I guess probably. they didn't. I agree with you. It looked fantastic when the guy, Vorg, is that his Vorg. name? Vorg. he reaches in and he picks up the TARDIS. It looks amazing. Maybe less so when he's, for some reason, stabbing circuitry and um, Doc <laughs> and Joe just sort of jumping back and forth. But what really bothers me about this is that, does this mean that everything is sort of, everything's just shrunken down, mm. but it's actually in there? It's not, you know, we're not talking about like the size of molecules. It's not on some weird quantum plane. It's actually just small in there and you can reach in and pick it up. There's a finite amount of space in there. And does that mean that there's like one floor that's just covering water and there's a ship in there? The Doctor would be able to see the... Like everyone would be able to see the edge of this machine. Yeah. And also, this combined with the fact that when you hit the... When they fire the heat ray at it, everyone in there starts sweating. Like, it is all on the same plane. That means that when they take the machine, which they just like throw out of the rocket in the first place, there would have been the biggest effing earthquake in every one of those worlds the SS Bernice would have sunken a million times already yeah everyone in there would be dead well so there's that oh, there's a lot to unpick there <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying yeah 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 like they're well, basically the physics just, doesn't make loads of sense to me because it's just a terrarium is what I'm saying so it's as opposed to it's so you know it's, microscopic it shrinks things or whatever but then how does it shrink things uh, do things have their, their relative mass what happens to all this is it time it lordy um, no I don't think so the guy reaches in and grabs the TARDIS I think also, it literally just shrinks it down to I think the, the, X the, the, the more specific question that I had that was is like, how did you get these things? You seem like a bumblefuck. Like, how did you get... Oh, but he won the machine I, from someone who was not a bumblefuck. And they, they had done that. So, again, yeah. so that maybe that's either interesting or not interesting, I guess, depending on your bent. But that's a cool line of inquiry. Who has the relative power to capture Cybermen? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or... The SS Bernie and some of the Indian Ocean, for that matter. Yeah. And a dinosaur. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> okay, so a couple of things. Okay. Um, the Tylor... Uh, the, they call them Tylorians, Tylorians. Yeah. Uh, Wait, Vor- the... Vor- Vorg calls... Earth... Earth... The humans. Earthlings, yeah. So, so the, the SS <laughs> Bernie's... What are we now? And, you know, um, uh, <laughs> a Tylorian. The thing is, is that when he thinks, oh, yeah, he's a Tylorian, he's a Tylorian, he's a, he's a thing, he's like me, and then he starts talking in Tylorian... Which is whatever fucking gobbledygook, you know. Uh, he he starts talking in ca- Tylorian carnival language. Okay, fine. Specifically carnival <laughs> lingo. No, but which is again, great which by the is, way. Which is a bit of a weird logical fuck for me because so I had assumed that that was just their word for people from Earth, not that Tylorians were actually a separate thing with their own language. Oh, this explains it now because I had a problem with this. Yeah. I thought this was like, oh wait, this is bullshit. Why do you have? You know, Latin-based... Why is there an Italian word in this sentence, for example? Mm. So, yeah, and I figured, this is bullshit, if that's from a different planet, but it's Earth Carnival lingo. Yeah, I think that he's... I think that's exactly... Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I think that's it. What he says, by the way, is... Um, I've got it, this is from uh, TARDIS Wikia. Parle the carne? <laughs> <laughs> Do you talk the carnival ling- uh, language? Uh. Uh, Vada the bona palone. 
look at the good-looking young girl. Right. Weird. And niente dinari here, you jealous. So niente, nothing. Yeah. Uh, and dinari. No money uh, here. Yeah, no money to be made here, you know, is the translation given mm-hmm. on Todd's Wiki. Yeah. And, and my reaction was like, but why would you have niente dinari mm. in some alien language? But yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's human. Mm. That means... That he's been there. He's been there. He he has. I mean, there is a little uh, interlude where he says they look exactly like us, and they're a fascinating species because they open up a, a conversation on like against the idea of uh, everyone is unique in the universe. There's actually some form of uniformity, mm. and uh, which is a wonderful way to <laughs> you know justify the fact that. You just slap some grey paint on someone and he's suddenly from a different galaxy. Yeah. Right? Uh, or you just put someone in a colourful coat and all of a sudden he's an alien. But he's literally just a human being in a coat. It, it, it works in that, in that regard. But it does mean that he went to Earth, he befriended people enough to learn their language, and then he kidnapped some of them. Yeah. Nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> different alien. Mm. The Drashigs. The worm. The Graboid thing. Graboid... Yeah, does it not look amazing when it first shoots up? When it up, first shoots up, oh. yes, absolutely. Do you know what I'm really wrong? reminded me of um, old Godzilla films. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, like in my head, I started writing the intro to this, and one of my things was you know um, King Ghidorah's, you know, like as a oh really as a Godzilla sort of throwback because it really reminded me of that as a you know scaled monster, but in the seventies. So yeah, they were cool. They were cool as fuck. I loved them. I mean, it's just someone with a very elaborate sock on his arm, but yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. What did they eat? Anything. Any uh, meat. Yeah, but where did they get any meat? Oh, they're probably fed stuff inside this thing, right? Slowly but surely, the rest of the collection just diminishes because they eat shit. Or maybe they, they can live for centuries without eating anything. Okay. Maybe they eat each other. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that episode two, only episode two, has a different opening and closing theme song? I did not. It has, uh, I'll, I'll pop it in here just for a soundbite. Episodes one, three, and four have the standards that we've heard for a while now. Mm. Here it is. And episode two has this one. I did not notice this. That is some shit I did not notice. Cool, but when you play it, but yeah, <laughs> why? Yeah, it's all like <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it's like they just experimented just for that one episode. Maybe people didn't respond well to it. They just like let's go back to the old one. Let's go back to the old one. <laughs> no one likes boyoings. <laughs> I love boyoings, and it does. Shut it- up, Steve. No one likes boyoings. You're fired. <laughs> well, I'm taking my springs with me. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> Steve went on to, <laughs> to found the most <laughs> successful mattress company in the UK. And Sankey's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
it is quite reminiscent of, I think anyway, parts of it are quite reminiscent of one of the themes used for the fourth Doctor. Okay. So very possibly this is some, and maybe later on in third Doctor era, I don't know, but it certainly like it sounds like later classic Who. Mm. It, it seems like they're laying down a lot of prep work for the next Doctor then. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. Or just for future Doctor Who in general. So maybe we're going to see this going forward with Pertwee as well. Okay. Yeah. Right. Go for it. How do you feel about Joe? She's great, but... Is she? Yeah, she's great, but she is... What did she do? Maybe lately she's become more and more... I don't want to say useless, but like she's just, she's just in the way. She's quite infantilized. Uh, oh, often. very much so. Um, she can't grasp very basic concepts. She has to ask the doctor. She's basically like this exposition uh, and then when MacGuffin. She, when, when she does get someone, yeah, it's like, a, that's right, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Come sit on my lap. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she does nothing for me in this serial. I think she's good fun, but as a character, she is deteriorating. She was better in the beginning, I think. What well, don't think you liked her in the beginning. I know, but I'm just saying, relatively speaking, <laughs> she's getting worse. Uh, I, I've, it, over, um, how many serials have we had her now? Quite a few. Right? I've come to appreciate Joe. <laughs> Lately, less so. Every now and then she says something that's completely stupid, and it's not her fault, it's the writer's fault. How, okay, I'll go quick, quick. Go for sorry, it, go for it, go for it. to interrupt you. How do skeleton keys work? And do skeleton <laughs> keys work then on all, like... I assume, I think from what I remember of, from what I understand of skeleton keys, is that one might, let's say, in a hotel, yeah. have a set of locks that have some sort of... They have something in common. Something in common. That yeah. One might make a skeleton key for all these things in this hotel. Yeah, sure. Not that it is some universal key that is in all locks everywhere. Is it, is it though, in this serial? Well, she turns, she was just like... Doesn't oh, she open like, the same if, door? If, yeah, no, but she's like, if only we had a skeleton. Well, I've got one. It's like, well... Yeah, you got that one, but that doesn't mean it's going to open all the things in the SS Bernice or whatever. I don't think that's what happens. I think I I think you're right that that is incredibly poorly written, but mm. I don't think that's what happens. I think it's like, oh, if only we had a skeleton key. Well, we have the actual key for this door, which oh, I just pilfered. Oh, okay, I think okay. so. I think she pickpocketed him, uh, stole the actual key. Okay. And uh, I thought it was it was an extension of her escapology. Scapology. Um, oh, maybe. She's like, maybe yeah, she. Let me check my scapology utility belt. <laughs> maybe she has the ability to turn any key into the one that she needs. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be an X Man too. <laughs> There's, uh, it, well, uh, well, on the subject of Joe, here's a quote from episode three. She says, I thought the Time Lords never interfered. But hitherto, every single adventure she's been on has been brought about because of Time Lord interference, has it not? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. this is what I mean. Like Joe is, she's becoming more and more of an idiot, not for any fault of her own, but because the writers, they just, every dumb thing that can be said, they just attribute it to her. Yeah. <laughs> first time that we see the sonic screwdriver used as a weapon, I think. Yes. Oh, I think, also, oh, wait, no, not the first time. We've had him, like, maybe blow up a Dalek. Okay, um, possibly, but this was like, oh, uh, yeah, incendiary device. <laughs> like, well, he, the fuck? When you... <laughs> When, that would be a really useful setting in loads of ways. Wait, isn't it that he sparks the gas that's emanating from like this marshlands where the graboids That live? might be true. I think that's it, because later on he tries it again and he goes, like, there's not enough gas. Yeah. Like, for, for a moment I was thinking, like, what, do you have to refuel that's your... What like, is there not lighter fluid enough in your sonic screwdriver? Yeah. Well, I think that's what he does. Yeah, okay. But then also he's constantly talking about, well, we need to... I mean, every creature has the right to live. Quick, burn these three graboids alive. <laughs> Everyone's got the right to live, uh, as long as you're not fuck with me. 
Uh, speaking of the sonic screwdriver, there's a soundbite episode one seventeen twenty three. He says, "Sonic screwdriver." No, that only works on electronic locks, Joe. Hmm. That changes. That does change. And he uses the sonic to manipulate non-electronic stuff like gas in this very same serial. But doesn't work on wood. No. Wood, for some reason, doesn't respond to... Vibrations. Or anything sonorous. No. No. I mean, Tell I'm... that to your glockenspiel. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, a glockenspiel, isn't that with bells? No, glockenspiels are like a wooden xylophone. xylophone. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Neither neither one of those two. Neither (laughs) glockenspiel sounds. It's a really hard thing to imitate. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, that's the best thing. Okay. (laughs) What did you think of that time when Captain Haribo handed a bald cap a cassette tape? (laughs) (laughs) And said, here, (laughs) it's my mixtape from your main man, President. What's his face? It's fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, when when he just like found a laser. He's like, oh, I have a laser. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And that then doesn't come into play. That's really useful. Just now, just for this. (laughs) But does he use it? Yeah, on something. On on like a a Jurassic or I don't think so. I think he then grabs the massive heat cannon and uses that. I think the laser is just there to add some last minute exposition to inform the audience that this guy knows how to kill shit because he was in in a war at one point. But he has a weapon. He could use it. You can all of a sudden you could write in something like, well, the um, what are the Greg are the interminorians functionaries the, or the or officials? The, the yeah, the interminorians. Yeah. They could just suddenly try to kill them, and he goes, well. I don't think so, buddy, because I've got this weapon. Rent a dick. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but then this thing just disappeared. Ha- You're right, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Clearly so did the BBC. Oh, my God. He does have a fun line at one point. Mm. Uh, in episode three, he says, this is 2230. The generators were built by the old Eternity Perpetual Company. They're designed to last forever. That's why the company went bankrupt. That is funny. That, that is, is good, good, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. <laughs> All right, I only have two more things in my notes. Maybe those two things and let's hit the reviews. Let's do that. Okay, so number one, just a quick reference. I feel like there's an X-Files episode that is almost exactly like this. It, we, it, as in, exactly like the SS Bernice part of it. I think there's an X-Files episode, I, I need to Google this, where Mulder is stuck in a time loop aboard a ship that went into, I want to say the Bermuda Triangle or something. Mm. He's now stuck in this loop and he has to get out of it before he's going to be there forever. But it's another ship, that, like a legendary ship that disappeared. Like history books all say, we don't know what happened to it. It turns out, it, in this case, Bermuda Triangle, in the case of Doctor Who, aliens... <laughs> And it's stuck in a time loop. I'm pretty sure it's the exact same thing. I wonder if someone was inspired by this. I have not watched enough X-Files to know, I'm afraid. And I was a kid when I saw this, so I may be completely wrong. But yeah, anyway, so that was, that was the first vibe I got. And very last note, when they return everything to their respective time period, mm. including the SS Bernice, mm. which history books say vanished without a trace in 1926, or at oh, the very least... It's, the, not, it's not a fixed time period. Yeah, but the compliment, the compliment uh, of, the, of the ship had no effect on history post-1926. Yeah, they were, they were just madrasses, weren't they? But doesn't this radically change history? I mean, what if Claire grew up to be, like, this horrifically sadistic despot? 
<laughs> what if, I am Claire. <laughs> what if one of them contracts some sort of uh, disease? Uh, clearly. What, what, if, entire- what if they bring a disease? They've been in touch with a fucking plesiosaurus. There might be dino diseases aboard the ship. Maybe they now spread this across the world. Now, I think we, the only conclusion we can possibly reach yeah. is that the entire complement of the ship had absolutely no lasting effect on anything on anything they met no one they interacted with no one or they might have done just no one gave a shit <laughs> but hey i'm the major who cares mate and then let's just move on. <laughs> i feel like this is gonna have, there's gonna be a ripple effect <laughs> no this is it all right, shall we, uh, shall we rate this? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I super enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the dual narrative, specifically the first half. I think it was well paced. Uh, the, the ending, whatever, and I could have done more with the, the interminorians. I thought they were very interesting, very sarky, uh, plotty, but ultimately flawed with their paranoia. I would love to see more of them. Yeah. Um, the Doc and Joe... Joe certainly was, was less of a thing for me, but the Doc seemed great, yeah. actually. Um, and, and the circus aspect, it obviously could have been more developed, but you probably budget stuff. Uh, but otherwise, really enjoyed it. Hope they make a, some sort of revival. And I'm going to hit this with a 3.8. Wow, nice. Okay, yeah, um, that's almost what I've given it as well. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you've just said. I also think something that we didn't talk about that we normally bring up in our reviews is the actual duration of the the serial. This was another four-parter and another testament to the fact that four parts is the optimal length of one of these, I think. Isn't it, though? Perfectly paced. We get lots of information. There's still obviously room for more, but what can you do? If you want something that works on tons and tons of levels and that literally exists on tons and tons of levels, then you are going to have to neglect some aspects of them. And the stuff that we've missed, you could not physically cram into the serial unless you had another two episodes to it. So uh, I love it. I'm giving this a 3.9. Nice. Boom. Shackalag. Hot damn. Rent a dick. <laughs> Rent a dick. <laughs> listener minis. Right, so our first listener mini actually comes from Twitter and uh, a, a companion to podcast. Podcast. Yeah, new yeah. to who. Uh, at new to who. So yeah, hey definitely, definitely uh, take them, uh, you know, give them a look. So I think the new Do podcast is by Colin, Daniel, and, and Stephen, and I don't know which one of them have sent this in. So let's <laughs> let's just say that as a collective, they Hello, say uh, a clever, a clever, very postmodern Robert Holmes script poking fun at the conventions of Doctor Who and BBC bureaucracy that is cunningly disguised as a mere monster run around. Ooh. Mm. A really, a really early example of the series being meta, it suffers from looking a bit cheap, but the heart is there. And as a rating, uh, maybe 3.2? Okay, yeah, I can dig it. I did know that, did not know that that was a thing, but I get that now, I think. The Wait, B- that, what was the The thing? BBC bureaucracy being lampooned, I assume, by the interminorians. And I wonder if there was some sort of paranoia or risk-taking or risk-aversion in the BBC hierarchy when it comes to Doctor Who. Well, if, if sort of public knowledge is that there was even cause to send them up, then mm. yeah, probably. Yeah. Which is surprising to me. I would have assumed that at this point, 10 years into the show, they would have been super safe. Like, we're clearly on to a winner here. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. guys. Okay, so the next one comes from OBX Pirates. Ahoy there. <laughs> OBX Pirate says, 
This serial seemed a bit off to me when it opened up with a futuristic Amazon sorting facility getting ready for Christmas season with the same <laughs> wrapped presents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the three-line supervisors slash tribal members were incompetent idiots. Did they evolve from the sensorites? But wait, all is good when you have Willy Wonka and his caring dancing assistant and a miniscope. Or was the crazy-dressed man really Harry Mudd from Star Trek? Holy shit! Yes! Uh, <laughs> sorry, I got very excited there. Uh, <laughs> when people validate Leon, they get really excited. Saw, it happens very rarely. <laughs> but when it does, holy smokes, do I appreciate it. Uh, Obi Expired goes on, and I liked the concept of the Doctor and Joe trapped in a zoo with other creatures and species. The story didn't really make sense, given the fact that the people on the boat kept repeating everything as though they were in a time loop. If the Doctor and Joe were just trapped like the others, since he did not keep reliving the same scene, nor should the boat people? Hmm. I also grew tired watching the Doctor and Miss Grant walking around in the circuit board over the same props over and over and over. The episode seems more fitting uh, for a Lost in Space episode with Doctor Smith, not our Doctor. (laughs) Thankfully, this was only a four-part serial. The story would have been more complete if the ship's crew did not live in a time loop. I also wanted to see the actual council and more about the reason behind a rebellion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. For finally having received a new dematerialising unit from the Time Lords, he should have landed elsewhere. Overall, it's not a story I would pick in a bag of 100 if I knew I was going to be standing in an island. 2.2. Ooh. I, th- I like to think that OBX Pirate thinks about being stranded on an island a lot. Yeah. Of his be- profession. He's a pirate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, OBX Pirates. That's kind of interesting. Do you not find? Like, yeah. uh, contrasting views. Love it. Love it. The next one comes from Arthur Fuck's Sake. <laughs> Arthur Fuck's Sake. <laughs> Hello the subje- there. The subject line reading, Carnival of Monster Cogs. Yep. Classic. <laughs> Classic Fuck's Sake. <laughs> Arthur writes, Loved this serial. It had everything. Time-based mystery, curious alien civilizations, interesting supporting characters, big monsters, <laughs> and scheming villains. Sorry, I'm struggling there with Leon dancing. Sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he goes on, I usually try to wa- uh, try not to watch more than one episode a day, but had to binge out as I was gripped and entertained throughout and couldn't wait to see what happened next. Some of the effects were a little ropey, and although great effort was made to, re- uh, to present us with a fantastically quirky and original alien culture, I still get the impression that their entire home planet consisted of nothing more than a holding bay, <laughs> a warehouse, three officials, and a handful of underlings constantly on the verge of strike. Another controversial topic of air, uh, of this era. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. He goes on, I feel that the more successfully realized alien environments in Who are those that parody elements of our own culture, and it's this feature in particular that sets the program aside from other sci-fi. The first episode ending is among one of the best, completely unexpected and highly effective. We're also treated briefly to the only appearance of a Cyberman in Pertwee's era. Ooh. Oh my god. Mm. Great to see a wonderful performance by future Who companion and author Ian Martyr, as well as other familiar faces from Heidi High and. Is that how you pronounce it? Heidi High, yeah. Yeah, Heidi High. And Citizen Smith. This was a cleverly written serial and possibly years ahead of its time, with the main focus on voyeurism as uh-huh. entertainment and reality TV. Ooh. Yeah. I'm unlikely to ever give a perfect score for anything unless it's a fit bird. Oh. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. But this serial is as good as it gets. 4.9. Wow. 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 Not much wiggle room at this point. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, original potential title 
is like working title for this was Peep Show for mm. the serial. Yeah. And it's actually name checked in the serial at one point. Joe says like, I can't believe so you're saying that this old whole thing is just one big alien peep show. Something like that. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Next up. Peter Zunich. Zunich. Hello, what Peter. Up, Peter. <laughs> Peter writes, this is the one with a bunch of very interesting characters, all of whom have almost nothing interesting to do. It's got a plot to overthrow a government, climaxing with a revolution that never actually happens. The aliens and creatures are actually quite interesting, yet some never speak. Some simply stand around, and some are so close to being humans from Earth that one wonders when, why they weren't simply humans from Earth. Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> the makeup and costumes are standouts, and the set designs are beautiful too. Yet again, the curved, sloping alien planet we are treated to in the first 20 shots is never capitalized on in such detail again. The rewrites? Improvements? We could expand the whole revolution and discontented class subplot, yeah. Instead of just talking about it, we could have actually seen it. Another idea would be to see more environments within the miniscope and have them clash more. However, in this case, I don't think either of these would have been the best choice. The simplest answer here is the best one. They should have cut everything but the main plot and made this a straightforward two-part story. See Peter Davison's uh, The Awakening as a perfect analogous example. Mm-hmm. The Groundhog Day phenomena is incredibly hard to pull off without becoming boring. In this venture, I actually feel that they were very, they were successful. And for that, I really applaud this story. Hmm. Ultimately, though, I have yet to watch the serial without nodding off at some point. <laughs> Card of Monsters is certainly not the best thrill ride in the park. 2.1. Holy smokes. There are two camps forming. Yeah, <laughs> I know. This is really exciting. This is a, an emotional roller coaster. Let's see where we go from here. Peter, thank you so much for sending that in. Next up, we have Matthew Dennison. No, 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 no. Matthew oh, no. Dennison. No, I exist. <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. Matthew writes, I remember not liking this story much when I first saw it. It felt slow and uneventful, and the cheap sets, bad alien costumes, and garish outfits made it look like late 80s Who at its worst. But upon re-watching it, I rather enjoyed it. The idea of two parallel stories with a viewer initially not knowing how they join together is a good one, and the early scenes on the SS Bernice looks great, although this makes the later interminer sets look rather naffer. The acting is good throughout, and the drashigs don't look half as bad as I remembered, at least in their own environment. And I loved seeing future companion Ian Marta boxing with uh, with the Doctor. Plus, we get Robert Holmes' usual witty dialogue and the entertaining double act in the Borg, Shermer, Calic, Orem pairings. One problem I still have with it. Hasn't the Doctor changed history? Yes. <laughs> Hasn't the Doctor changed history with the SS Bernice no longer missing? No, we got that. We saw that. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem too concerned about it if he has. And based on the start of episode one, I was expecting the Doctor to free the functionaries, but instead he just ignores them. In fact, all the intrigue on Interminer goes nowhere. All in all, it's far from being the best story ever, but the great script cast makes it an entertaining diversion. Although I had have, ex- uh, I would have expected the production team to try something a bit more ambitious for Pertwee's first proper trip in the TARDIS. I'll give it a three out of five. Ooh, okay. What nice a range, one. what a range. You know, oh, this is all over the place. It's like mm. a ping pong game of my heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll workshop that later on. <laughs> what an analogy, okay. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much, Matthew. Next up, we have Kyle Rath. Hey, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Kyle writes, This serial is a wonderful adventure tale in which an aging vagabond with flouncy hair and a 
pronounced fashion sense, arrives in a somewhat hostile alien environment with his young female companion to entertain and enlighten the local population, ultimately saving the Dane with a hand tool. Oh, that sounds... That's very much Doctor, isn't it? Yeah, I know exactly where this is going. (laughs) He goes on, It also features the Doctor (laughs) falling down a lot, Joe Grant being dismissed and ignored like an old stick in the mud. Ian Martyr... Martyr? Martyr. Ian Martyr as a sailor again for the very first time and some sexually aggressive slugs traipsing around the confines of a space TV. By doing so much more with a significant amount of less homes and let's deliver, in my opinion, one of the strongest third Doctor serials. The parallels between Vorg, Shermer, and the Doctor Joe, with the caricature of the big bad corporation of grey men attempting to control and direct uh, what the people will be entertained by, is easily recognisable. Yet the story itself also works on a much simpler level. Time in relative dimensions, whether inner or outer space is apparent, has an infinite sandbox in which one can play. One must take the time to truly appreciate the analogy that is also expertly displayed for us simple functionaries. <laughs> there is so much that works in this serial that taking issue with problems such as makeup and production design kind of feels like a game of find the yarrow seed under the magum pod. Magum pod? Yes. You, I concur. <laughs> possibly amusing, yet ultimately fruitless. Sorry if I didn't get that reference. This is classic Doctor Who at its best, he says, and he gives it 4.2 out of 5. Have we found the most divisive I think we have. This is amazing. (laughs) And remind me, I have one bit of trivia that I completely forgot to mention that I just uh, remembered. Ladies and gents of Podcast Land, you can follow Kyle online. He is at Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any vowels. We have one more, I think. Just the one? Okay. Just the one. This might be... This is going to be... Is this decider somehow? This is, yeah. This is now, like, just de facto. This is the swing vote. All right. All right, here we go. Next up. You about to get blessed. (laughs) Hello, Trenton. Trenton writes, Carl of Monsters was my first Pertwee story, seeing seeing as it once was available on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it, but it seems the fandom has gone and underrated it. I don't see why that is so. Sure, it's not on the level of other great Doctor Who stories from this season, but it's a gem nonetheless. I'm sure the cliffhanger from episode one caught everyone by surprise, and the drashigs are well done, even though you can clearly tell they're models, especially when they get out of the miniscope. The costumes are great in this serial, especially for the showman Vorg and his assistant Shermer. The colour is a stark contrast from the greys of the planet they are on, and the world's inhabitants are just quite ugly looking. Definitely alien here. Robert Holmes once more delivers a great script with perfect moments such as the bits inside the miniscope in the realm of the Drashigs. And once more, Pertwee and Manning put on a great performance. Aside from being a complete colour example, as many colour tapes were lost in the 1980s, I can see why they chose this story for the Five Faces of Doctor Who events on BBC Two in 1983. Nice. Overall, I don't see why this story is underrated. I think it's pretty great. No, not one of Holmes' best, but still good nonetheless. 3.4 out of 5. Wow. That settles it. That's it. <laughs> Wait, what does that settle? The, the, it's a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> Serial. Serial. Oh, damn it. Bless you. Thank you. Awesome. Trenton, thank you very much for sending that in. Uh, ladies and gents, follow him online if you aren't already. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two S's. I told you there was one tiny bit of trivia that I'd completely forgotten. Hit me. This is another um, actor reference. Uh, the the guy who plays, hang on, bum, 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 bum. he plays 
the Interminorian who really wants to take over. Can't remember his name now. Oh, actually, I'll find his name in a second. Kalik. Kalik. He is also <clears throat> the originator of Davros. <gasps> what? He was credited as. So that's not a origination re- thing. No. He originated Davros, which I don't, I don't know how to interpret that. Does that mean that he was the first person to play Davros? Which he was. Mm. Or was he there, like, in the writer's room going, we need a dude who's half Dalek, half uh, human, that sort of thing. Yeah. By the way, he is that dude. He is the first Davros. He is He's Davros. Davros. Shit. Okay. Which is insane. That is insane. By proxy. So, Terry Nation invented the Daleks. Mm. This guy invented Davros. Mm. Davros invented the Daleks. This guy invented Terry Nation. <laughs> so <laughs> he has been in a, a tremendous amount of um, episodes and we've we've encountered him before he was in the seeds of death mm-hmm. did some voice work ambassadors of death he was uh, john wakefield do you remember john wakefield i do not the ambassador of death was a ice warriors no ambassadors oh, of death is of death. A, the the dudes who yeah that's seeds of death yeah, ambassadors of death are the dudes in astronaut outfits who like using radiation just destroy shit they come to earth and they're so incredibly irradiated that they can blow stuff up cool do you remember not really it's great <laughs> he's also in terror of the autons as rex farrell oh rex yeah rex farrell we definitely talked about a rex i remember yeah. talking about rex yeah kind of monsters obviously we're gonna see him again in where well, we're gonna hear him again he does dalek voices from now on frontier and space planet of the daleks death to the daleks genesis of the daleks where he appears as davros and then Revenge of the Cybermen and Planet of Evil. Well, it's pretty cool. To make a nice segue, yeah. Frontier in Space is our next serial. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so he's in the next classic. Very exciting. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Frontier in Space. That means we get a Dalek episode. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm super excited. I, I've been missing the Daleks. That's on the classic front. Before we have that one, we're going to have a new Who review, uh, and it will be of Amy's Choice. Uh, we actually recorded that one just the other day. So um, yes. I can attest to that fact. That one is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. In the meantime, people can follow you online, can they not, Nick? They can, at Nicolele. Like Nicolele, but with Nick. Exactly. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> exactly, sort of. And you can follow me as well. I am at Ponkin. If you don't know how to spell that, ask a friend. Thank you very much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on. Be right next to each other. And ciao, ciao. Bye. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who Review, New Who Review, or, <laughs> still funny, Audio Who Review. Cha-chao. Who back when?